0: Yes, welcome in, everybody, to week number two of the NFL 2022 season. Strange old day here in the UK. The strangest bank holiday I've ever gone through. Very sad, sad day. But we're here to review everything that happened in the NFL this week. And that will cheer us up, no doubt, because there was plenty of sheer chaos as usual, guys. We said that word plenty last week, and we're going to say plenty more this week, because boy, oh boy, was there some chaos this week. Let's welcome the boys in. Josh, how are you doing, buddy?
2: Yeah, not too bad. Uh, another NFL week, another NFL disappointment for uh, me personally in the cruelest of circumstances. But as I'm talking to you right now, I've got BT Sport on the other line and uh, the Guardian's currently beating the Twins. So yeah, not bad at all, mate.
0: <sighs> Baseball, good Lord. What sport I've never, ever got into. Steve, how you doing, buddy? Yeah, not bad.
1: Um, the NFL continue with chaos but it was all different themes this week i think um the kickers seemed to find their kicking boots this week there wasn't so many missed missed
2: kicks
1: (laughs) sorry steve carry on but but, uh all the defenses forgot how to play football um we're gonna go into i'm sure a lot of it but a lot of comebacks a lot of just awful awful defensive performances um yeah chaos in, in a different way and uh Dave's been having his way, the agent of chaos, because yeah, <laughs> more, more strange results, more wins that you didn't expect. Um, I don't think this was probably a week for the gamblers amongst us, because uh, I would imagine that a lot of people picked some teams that just were were almost bankers that that did not win. So, yeah, let's get into it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let's start then, fellas, with what we did last week. Tell me one thing you loved in the NFL this week. Josh, i start with you, buddy.
2: I mean, let's just start with the fact that the, the league was as chaotic as it was this week. Um, three massive comeback wins in what seemed to be impossible circumstances. So the Jets, obviously, uh, against the Browns, coming back in one of the most unreal of circumstances, beating the Browns after going 30-17 to 17 down with just two minutes left in the fourth quarter. The last time that a team won in such a circumstance was the Bears against the Browns, stupidly enough, in 2003. So that tells you just how unlikely that comeback was. Um, The Dolphins were another team that were down and out against the Ravens. I had a couple of Finns fans texting me going, God, this is uh, just as bad as we thought. And then at the end were takes me all sorts of obscene but um you know understandable uh messages at the end of the game after somehow beating the ravens they were thirty five fourteen down at the start of the fourth quarter and won that one and then the Arizona Cardinals. You know, how on earth did the Arizona Cardinals win that game? They were 20 nil down at halftime and uh, 23-7 to down at the start of the fourth quarter. And they still won their game as well. And then just to add something else into the mix, gents, nine out of the 14 games so far this week have finished with a score that is, you know, either seven points or fewer. That is, you know, how competitive is this league early doors? It's for, for the neutral, for the neutral, it's fantastic. For the better, it's awful. And if you are partisan to a team that is not exactly keen on keeping consistency and momentum, then it's downright terrible. <laughs>
0: Yeah, absolutely. At one point yesterday, both the Je- uh, sorry, both the Browns and the Ravens had a ninety nine point nine percent win probability rate at different points in their games yesterday, and both both managed to lose. I mean, the Cardinals weren't impressive enough, but the other two. My word, could you imagine the odds you could have got in play on that result? I mean, that was just
2: absolutely... I was just thinking, imagine the accumulator on that, on the Ravens and the Browns losing when they were at 99.9 each, because I think there was a point where both of them were on that at the same time. So, yeah, Yeah, that that would have been quite mad.
0: Would have been absolutely frightening. Just on the um, the Raiders and the Cardinals, um, as we're talking about that game, you just mentioned it there. Um, sort of highlight the Kyler Murray two-point play, which I'm sure everybody has seen now. It's very much Michael Vick, Madden style. Kyler Murray managed to run 85 yards on a two-point conversion, gents. 85 yards. What just on earth for
2: taking him down? Oh, how on earth honestly. did no one go to him? It just constant side to side. It was mad. I actually thought That's... that it was. I thought it was a busted play. I thought it was like a penalty. He was just casually rolling from side to side for the fun of it all. But yeah, just just how do you not go to the man at the very least? It was a fantastic play.
0: Yeah, frightening, frightening play. But yeah, I mean, to be fair, we'll probably touch a little bit on the Cardinals a little bit later on because potentially papered over a few cracks, let's just put it that way. Steve, what did you love in week two, my friend?
1: So for me, I'm going to go a bit more um, a bit more uh, pointed this week because last week I was far too broad, as you said. So this week I'm going to go for uh, for my old pal, um, Doug Peterson and his, his Jacksonville Jaguars. They looked uh, an offence unleashed Um, Trevor Lawrence looked the best he's ever looked in an NFL uniform. I thought he was sublime. Um, that's the Trevor Lawrence we all thought we'd see in the NFL. Um, I thought he was excellent. Um, I think through the first half up up until just before the half, I think he was 12 of 12, um, with something like 150 passing yards. Like he was, he was really dialed in, um, Christian Kirk had a had a great game. You know, uh, some people started to say, "Is that Christian Kirk contract actually a steal?" Um, because he looked he looked <laughs> he looked, a, he looked a, a different player in that Jags uniform, and they were just really really good. I love I love Pedersen's um energy. I love that he's he's not afraid to go for it. He's aggressive on fourth down. That's what Doug Pedersen's always done. Um, they got two out of three of their fourth down attempts. He's always been aggressive, um, and not afraid to go for it. And they just looked really good. I mean. Um, we'll obviously come on to another conversation about the other side of the ball with the Indianapolis Colts, but yeah, the Jags one and one. They sit atop perhaps the weakest division in football, but you know they're, they're at top of it at the moment, and um, you know the only way is up. And interestingly, in the Indianapolis Colts have only been blown out three times in the last like I think it's something like seven years, um, maybe longer than that, and all three of them have come against Jacksonville. They're just their thorn in their side. They, they have something against Jacksonville and brings back memories of the last game of last season where they missed out on the playoffs because they lost to Jacksonville. Um, but no, all full credit to Jacksonville. I thought they looked excellent. Um, I thought they mixed in the pass game with the run game really well. Um, good to see Travis Etienne back as well because obviously he missed all last season. with a, Was it Linz Frank, I think he had? Um, he missed all of last season, his rookie year. So good to see him back on the field and him and Trevor Lawrence bringing over that Clemson chemistry. Um, but yeah, I think the... Jaguars are on the up and um, yeah, some interesting um, things could happen in, the, in that division, I think.
0: Yeah, most definitely. Like you say, certainly the best Trevor Lawrence has looked. A big shout out as well to James Robinson cause I think he's been feeling Travis Etienne breathing down his neck and he's responded. Um, yep. in terms of some of the play that he's put out on the field. I'm slightly regretting trading him away in a full 10 yards dynasty league. But there you go. I tried to pick up J.K. Dobbins, and I thought James Robinson would be expandable. But, you know, there you go. These things happen. I'm going to be even more pointed. I'm going to not pick out a team. I'm going to pick out a player. And I'm going to tip my cap to Amon Raston Brown, because what a performance yet again from him. Quietly has become one of the premier wide receivers in the league. That might sound like an overreaction. But he's now on a streak of six games with at least eight receptions and one receiving touchdown, which is now the longest such streak in the Super Bowl era. And he doesn't look like he's slowing down anytime soon. Um, he was consistently targeted yet again in the passing game for a Lions offense that has been tremendous in the first two weeks. They put up 30 plus in a losing effort, obviously, last week. Another 36 points effort this week. Um, they've got a good balance, it would seem, with the ground game. DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams are a nice one-two punch. Um, you know, Jared Goff, four touchdowns on the day. And like I say, two of those went to um, said Amon Ross and Brown. He also added a 58-yard rush as well to show that he was um, an all-round weapon in that offense. Uh, and like I say, very quietly, he really has become a real, real weapon. Actually, he ended up leading the Lions in rushing as well as receiving with that big 58-yarder on the ground. Um, but yeah, like I say, really, really big weapon. Um, and as I say, the Lions looking a little bit punchy. We've mentioned a couple of things that we loved. I think we're going to expand our conversation on a few of these teams and a few of the points that we've made. So, Steve, I've put it into your hands this week. I had my overreaction Monday for week one, and I've asked you to come up with a few statements that you believe um, after you've watched week number two. So far away, mate, so I think we're going to retouch on a few of these teams.
1: Yeah, I think we'll, we'll stick in the theme of the uh, of the NFC North and the, of, of the boys in blue, because what, watching them week one, obviously, against my Eagles, and then watching them again, red zone against the Commanders, this Lions team is good. Like their offense certainly is is underrated. I think obviously they, last year was a bit of a rebuild year. Dan Campbell brought the energy. you know he brought this this team that doesn't give up, that doesn't sort of lay down, not afraid to try things, and they've stuck with a few players. And yes, Jared Goff might not be the most polished passer in the league, but this Lions team is underrated. and I, I think this Lions team is going to the playoffs. you know, I don't think they're going to finish number one in the NFC. You know, but I think with it being expanded to seven teams this year, we've talked about how much the uh, um, the uh, NFC is weaker than the AFC, and I think those six and seven spots are up for grabs. And with Dak Prescott going down, that opens up all kinds of conversations. Trey Lance has gone down. You know, I think I think there's definitely a a spot to be had. So, what do you think, Sean? Do you think uh, do you think the Lions have got a route in?
0: I'm buoyed, mate. I'm with you. I'm all over it. I'm, I'm yet to be convinced at all by the Packers. I know they got a win this week, which we'll come on to later. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they beat who the real seller dwellers are in that division in terms of the Chicago Bears this week. Um, I've been massively impressed with the Lions. I think they were close in a number of games last year. Certainly, like you say, they picked up their few wins that they did manage to secure in the back end of the season. It does seem like Dan Campbell's message is, is very much getting across. Um, I've got a friend who um, moved over to Detroit some years back, and he's he's adopted the Lions as his team since uh, moving over the pond. Um, And he says that, you know, how much the city's really buying into the philosophy and and really enjoying the energy that that Dan Campbell's bringing. Um, I think you mentioned the offense. I think it starts up front. I think the offensive line is good. You win football games in the trenches, um, and that offensive line is good. Jared Goff has got his limitations. There is obviously no doubt about that, but he's also been able to take a team to the Super Bowl. He can be an efficient quarterback. And I think the reason that the offence probably goes under the radar is, like I've just said, Amon Ross and Brown was a rookie last year. Not a name on everybody's lips. Certainly not the casual viewers, you know, sort of thoughts of a premier wide receiver. But if you actually look at what he's producing, He's he's out producing near enough everybody not named Cooper Cup at this moment in time. You know he's he's phenomenal when in terms of what he's actually contributing. I think you look at the other side of the ball. I think Aidan Hutchinson obviously had a hell of a day um, yesterday. Picked up three sacks, didn't he? On his um, on the on the day, um, obviously massive expectations for him coming in um, as the second um, overall pick in the draft this year. Um, but they are a young team. They're a, a team that is improving. I think there, there is definitely an opportunity within the NFC, as you say. I think, you know, <laughs> I would suggest that Trey going down probably improves the 49ers chances, if I'm being honest. I don't know Josh would share that opinion with me. Yeah, um, absolutely. But I, th- but I think in terms of elsewhere, you know, I would look around, and as you say, you know, the NFC East, the Cowboys were the ones that people expected to be there or thereabouts. Yes, they got a win this week, but there's question marks there. Um, you know, the, the Rams, yeah, they got a win, but let's face it, they were pushed all the way by the Falcons in what was potentially another huge comeback, which fell just short. Um, and they you haven't know, threatened to actually come to fruition. Um, The books have got question marks because of all of the injuries that they've gotten and all of those type of things. So, look, I think there is definitely an opportunity there for the the Lions to be in the conversation. Um, But obviously, so much depends on whether or not the Green Bay Packers can actually find some consistent form. Like I say, I'm not taking week two as any sort of barometer for what they are or what they aren't, because I think the Bears will be really, really poor this year. Um, but I think obviously the Vikings and well, listen, the Vikings were impressive week one, big game for them tonight. Obviously, Packers disappointing week one, corrected themselves week two. But like I said, let's wait and see what comes around. It's a tough, yeah. tough division. But the Lions are certainly a team um, that, if I was a fan of them, I'd be encouraged that brighter days are certainly ahead. Whether those brighter days come at the end of this season or next, but they're certainly in the uh, heading in the right direction. Josh, you don't agree, do you?
2: Can I sell you guys some stock? If you're you're buying stock, I have stock to sell. Uh, Yeah, my main question here, though, Steve, is how many wins do you expect them to get? Because I I understand why you're putting it out there. They are definitely a team on the rise, and they're definitely a team that has got some moxie about them and is likely to get more wins, of which I definitely had them scheduled for this year, which is scary because I think they are... Featured on a couple of my win totals as an under, which is scary to me at the moment. But I currently pin them as a seven-win team as a ceiling still. So I don't know how many wins you think that they are likely to well, pick up now. Whether that's an eight or a nine at this point.
1: Does does eight wins get you in the NFC? It's going to be tight. Maybe, maybe, but probably, probably nine. not. Probably nine. So that means they need to win eight more games, and they they have games against the likes of Seattle, New England, Dallas. Better than expected. Less than expected.
2: Dallas is a toss-up. Giants are potentially better than expected. Jags are better than expected. You know, you can't look at the lines in a vacuum. You know the, but the, the lions, lions are better well. than
1: expected, though. Do they not get the same? Exactly, team that but that's, but that's what team. I'm saying
2: to you. What I'm saying is, is that you can't look at them in the vacuum, though. You know, the Jags just took apart the Colts. You know, and I mean, took apart. They did. So you know, you can't, you can't, you know, immediately scribble a dub in that in there for the Lions because I look at the Jags right now and I think that the Jags pace the Lions. I just think that. Washington are worse than expected. I think that that's something of which we can definitely take from the first two weeks of the season. I think that the Lions padded their points column in Week One against the Eagles. The Eagles were still relatively comfortable throughout that game. Um, come back to me in say three, four weeks and see if we're still saying the same thing. I think that the Lions have got tougher times ahead before their bye, and then that. The schedule definitely opens up after the bye, but there are other teams that are saying the exact same things, Lions at the moment, and they play those as well.
1: I think if they don't, it's because of their defense. Their defense is not great. Like Aiden Hutchinson was not amazing in week one, he had a bit of a breakout game week two. and if they don't do it it's because of the defense they've allowed th- 38 and 27 points respectively that's a lot of points to be given up you know you don't win many games yeah. allowing those types of points and they and, and, and let's be real they almost threw it away against washington they, they you know it really did look like the commanders were going to you know charge down there and make another comeback um so they almost did throw it away but for me they're an early team that and I think there's a theme so far there's, they're an early team that they are better than I expected they were going to be and I would have them in the conversation come like week 14, 15 you know you think oh actually if these guys can win another two or three games I think they're in but whereas last year the Detroit you'd be surprised if they won two games, let alone nine.
0: Yeah, no, I think I think that's fair, mate. I think that's I think that's a fair assessment. Like I said, they're certainly in the conversation, they're certainly trending in the right direction. Like you say, it's still early doors, it's still only week two. Um, you know, as Josh said, let's see where they get to. They've got an early bye week after the next three. Tough one next at Minnesota. They've then got Seattle and New England. If they could be sitting at three and two come the bye week, um they will be very, very happy indeed. So that's your first one ticked off, mate. Give us your second one.
1: Second one, I'm going to stay on the theme of the playoffs, but we're going to swap conferences. And this might not be necessarily such a surprise to some people, but I just want to heap some praise on the uh, on the two and O Chiefs and say that I think the Chiefs are going back to the Super Bowl. Um, you know that requires them to beat the Bills somewhere along the line, unless someone else does it for them. Um, and I know we've all been very very high on the Bills so far this season, but they've just been so good. Patrick Mahomes was so efficient against the against the Chargers on Thursday night. Um, he looked polished, he looked confident. Um, that little sidearm throw, uh, uh, that they got the touchdown on was wonderful. Um, and he looks like he slotted in with this new receiving call pretty pretty seamlessly. You know, Tyreek Hill is gone, it doesn't seem to matter in, in Kansas City. Andy Reid's dialed up in the offense. Matt Nagy is the quarterback coach, which is really interesting. Um, because prior to becoming the head, the head coach in Chicago, Matt Nagy actually had some pretty interesting. Um, jobs as quarterback coach and was was regarded as a pretty successful quarterbacks coach. So it's interesting that they brought him in and he seems to be doing some good things. But I think most importantly, their defense. You know, the defense held firm. You know, they had a young rookie cornerback, um, Jalen Watson uh, who apparently only three years ago was working alongside his mother at a Wendy's, but is now a cornerback for the for the Kansas City Chiefs, which is a wonderful story. And he took the NFL his first NFL interception back, 99 yards for the score. Um, and I just think the Chiefs look like the Chiefs of about three years ago. Um, they're really good. Um, I think that you're going to struggle to beat them. Um, and and it went, last year, we remember the Chiefs took, I think, was it eight weeks to get to over 500 uh, because they kept losing games that no one really expected them to. And they've just come across probably one of their hardest tests this season. And yes, it was a close game. And yes, um, Herbert got injured, but they came through it and they've got the W and, and, and they march on. Um, and so I'm, I'm putting out there early week two. This is my early hot take that I think the Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl. It's
2: definitely a hot take. Um, I, I came away from that game thinking that the Chargers are, are potentially more likely to come out of the AFC West on top than the Chiefs were. Um, you know, the, chi- the Chargers went into went into Arrowhead, which is one of the hardest places to go to in all of American sports, seemingly, and almost treated it as their own playground for three quarters. And then it was only really when Herbert was uh, basically pierced in the abdomen that uh, anything really changed around. I actually think that Mahomes found it quite difficult to um, to get stuff off. Um it only really gelled as when it really mattered most. I think they changed their um they they changed the calling a little bit. I think that um even our residents our resident Chiefs fan Liam who uh does the go for two pod, he um he'd tell you that it was um probably one of the worst called games by Andy Reid uh for a good long while. Um way too run heavy. They're trying to divert away from the wide receivers as much because of the fact they don't have the confidence in them yet. And that's definitely something of which I found. Um, they're definitely still working it out. So I think that right now, if you were to tell me who would win the AFC West, I would say the Chargers. And in terms of the Super Bowl, I can't see anything other than the Bills coming out of the AFC at the moment. The Bills have looked you know just from just from what we've seen so far it's going to be very very difficult to see anything other than the bills and the chiefs have not given me that confidence to say that they are going to be able to match up against them if they even match up against them in the conference championship.
1: Yeah I mean it's, it's interesting I think I think um it's interesting that, that you that there's opinions that the there's one that was a really poorly called game by Andy Reid, but they still won you know, they still manage to find a way to win. And if you're you're contributing touchdowns from your defence, I think that's really important. Um, It takes pressure off if your offence is not having the best game. Sean, are you you buying into that?
0: Yeah, listen, I'm buying into it as much as I think the Chiefs are a more rounded team, I would say, this year. I think when we've criticised them in the past, it's been that they've been so reliant on that high-powered offence. And the Achilles heel has always been the fact that the defence has been, you know, a fairly... I wouldn't say easy target, but, you know, it's certainly been the weaker side of the ball by some considerable distance. I feel as though they're a much more rounded unit on the field this time around. The the game itself on Thursday night, I think, was an example of good teams, successful teams that have been successful for a long time, find ways to win those type of ball games. Um, And that's ultimately what the Chiefs did and what the Chargers have struggled to do for the longest time. I think our resident Chargers fan, Lee, would tell you that, you know, believe it when you see it. And as much as, yes, the Chargers did look good for large portions of the game, ultimately they come out of there with the scoreboard the wrong way around from their perspective. You could look at the stats and say, well, the Chargers gained more yards and Herbert threw more yards and all of these kind of things. But ultimately there's one stat in every game that matters and that's the final score. And as you say, whether it called a good game, bad game or in between, they ultimately found a way to get the job done. Um, there's no denying that the pick six was obviously the absolute huge play of the game. Um, You know, I'm a huge fan of Brandon Staley. I'm a huge fan of coaches that are aggressive, but it was pretty obvious that Gerald Everett was calling for a substitution when they were running a no huddle up tempo offense at that point. And, you know, admittedly, you know, they were obviously moving the ball, which obviously, you know, was working for them, but to particularly target him, on that play, when he had signalled, look, I need a, I need a blow here, I need to come out. And you could tell by the effort, or the lack thereof of effort, not only in terms of trying to secure the catch, but he didn't even attempt to try and run back and, and sort of make a tackle. And admittedly, there is, you know, the defender had obviously got a few yards on him at that stage, but he was just down on his haunches. And, you know, ultimately, that was the play that ultimately really swung the game in the favour of the Chiefs. But... Um, I think, you know, I was very high at the start of the season on the Broncos. I thought their upgrade at quarterback would be huge. Let's be honest, through two weeks, it has been nothing short of woeful in Denver. Um, you talk about coaches very quickly on the hot seat. <laughs> Nathaniel Hackett could well be the shortest tenured head coach in history um, if things carry on the way that they are because, by were they, um, they were lucky to squeak a win yesterday. Um, but look, in terms of the Chiefs, It it all seems like a Buffalo-Kansas City AFC Championship game, doesn't it? But that would be far too easy. We've sat here for two weeks and we've got nothing right. We've predicted nothing correctly. Something surprises us every week. You know, something will happen. And, you know, that game may well never come to fruition. Um, But look, you know as well as I do that 16, 17 weeks from now, if that is the game, these two teams may well look totally different to what they look now anyway. And again, Believe it when you see it. The Chiefs have done it consistently. Mahomes has done it consistently. I would trust him and I would trust that team if it gets to that stage. So I don't think it's too hot of a take at all, mate. And uh, more importantly, in terms of the here and now, huge, huge divisional win because we talked about that division Mm -hmm. and divisional games in particular. A massive one. What's What's your third one, buddy?
1: So third, we're gonna go with um some of the downsides rather than the upsides. Um we've talked about teams making the playoffs. I think there's a few head coaches that are on the brink of outstaying their welcome in the NFL, shall we say, to put it lightly. Um, I think there's a couple of guys that are looking fairly obvious as candidates to go first. You know, you probably point to Matt Rule, Is is days are looking numbered. Um you know, there's a couple of new guys that have really got off to a shaky start. Nathaniel Hackett's one. Um, I think Mike McDaniel uh, – sorry, not Mike McDaniel. Um, uh, Las Vegas head coach. Why is his name escaping me? Um, Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels. Sorry, beg your pardon. Not Mike McDaniel. Definitely not Mike McDaniel. Josh McDaniels. <laughs> um, I think he's had a really rough start in Las Vegas, um, is, is 0-2 with that Vegas team. Um, uh, but I think there's a couple of long-tenured head coaches. and I think his hot seats are getting pretty hot. And I think there's a couple that might go mid-season. The first one is, um, is Cliff Kingsbury. And I know the Cardinals won, and I'm sure this is probably a good chance to talk about the Cardinals game, um, but they should not have won that game. That was How they won that game, I don't know. That Arizona offense has been asleep for the first six quarters of this season. They were dreadful last week. Um, they looked awful in the first half this week. Kyler Murray was 31 of 49. And... Um, averaged 5.7 yards of throw one touchdown one interception quarterback rating of 66.9 on ESPN um you know he just it just really didn't look great until that fourth quarter and until he managed to just keep plays alive with his feet which yes is what he can do and yes it's great to have that especially you know that two-point conversion where he managed to run it in somehow you know despite holding onto the ball for what felt like an eternity um but they had no right to win that game. And I think a better team would have put them to the sword and would be walking away with the win right now. Um, I think Cliff, King, Cliff Kingsbury has been walking a bit of a tightrope for a while. And when they had their enormous collapse towards the end of last season, as they seem to do lately, um, I think his days were were looking numbered then. And I, I said at the start of the, of the season, I said in our, our um, NFC West preview show, that if they don't get off to a good start and if he doesn't make the playoffs this year, his days are numbered. And if they continue like they are, and they get to week eight and week nine, and they're on five hundred or sub. So, I think it's time. It's time to make a change. How can you keep? You know, you've got Kyler on his big monster contract now. He's locked down. You've got a good receiving core now. I know they might be trying to get by until Hopkins comes back week seven, and I know that's obviously a massive piece to lose. And, and losing your wide receiver number one for the first six weeks is huge and maybe if they are you know 4 and 2 or 3 and 3 and he comes back and they turn into a good unit again then that's you know that signs that maybe they are but they just don't look like a polished playoff team they look like a team that even if they're going to make the playoffs um that one and done you know I, I can't see them who they're going to beat I don't see which NFC team they'd beat um I don't know where the um where the offensive production's coming from they've got a couple of decent receivers you know Zach Ertz is always a reliable um receiver Marquise Brown looks like he's slotted in fairly well but you know they were going to Greg Dortch a lot yesterday um and mm. and he had himself a decent game but you know when James Connors fourth on your on your depth chart for receiving yards you know and he's a running back like I, I you know I, I, I just don't see where the offensive production is going from so for me Cliff is one I don't know what you guys think about him but Cliff is one I think his, his days are numbered um the other one, I think, before I pass it over to you guys, is, is again, probably fairly obvious to some. But the other one is Frank Reich because yeah. the, the Colts were awful, absolutely dreadful yesterday. Um, and they were shut out by Jacksonville. Well, that shouldn't be happening to any team, let alone Indianapolis. You shouldn't be being shut out full stop. You've got four quarters, 60 minutes to score at least three points. And they didn't score any. Um And Matt Ryan was dreadful, Uh, 16 of 30, 195 yards, zero touchdowns, three interceptions, sacked five times. He had an ESPN QBR rating of 6.3. Not 55, not
2: 65, 6.3.
1: That's awful. Jonathan Taylor couldn't get anything going. I think he had that one long run for 21 yards. But apart from that, he was averaging somewhere around sort of four yards, three yards a carry. Um, they got very little going in the passing game. Um, the, the thing is now is that they've obviously had a different quarterback every season for the last like six seasons or so. And last year, a lot of it was, oh, it's all Carson Wentz. It's all Carson Wentz. And obviously, Wentz comes with his own issues and they put a lot of the blame on him. And obviously, he's out of the building and he's gone. And they managed to get something from the commanders for him. Mm-hmm. Wentz isn't there anymore. It's now Matt Ryan, who is a, a long-tenured, experienced quarterback who has been to a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, he's, you know... He's no a pushover. he's no you know um, he's no, not someone that's gonna sort of take all the blame for all of this. So what happens in Indianapolis? because you know, they don't even seem to be capable of winning their division, let alone winning a playoff game. So I think Frank Reich, I think they might start to get a bit a bit sort of tense, and I think they might pull the trigger on Frank Reich and and, and Chris Ballard, for all that we've we've sung his praises over the years for some of the stuff he's done. Surely they've got to start thinking about him as well because this is the sixth or fifth quarterback since Andrew Luck, and it doesn't seem to. I know it's only two weeks in, but it, this looks awful. This offense. I, I don't know where where they where they go from here.
2: Yeah. And let's also consider the fact that there's a massive um, issue with patience as well at this point. It feels like patience has been exhausted when you consider, you know, the squads which the Colts have had. And you'd consider that the Colts have had really good playoff worthy rosters now for a number of years. And they've either scraped by or just not done well enough. Or, you know, there's always some sort of excuse. And at some point, the front office has to take action. Um, Frank Reich, I do think, is probably the most likely to go um, first. If we just take a look at the, um, if we just take a look at the schedule you've got here, there, at home to the Chiefs, home to the Titans, away to the Broncos, home to the Jags again, and obviously if the Jags do their number twice, that's that's damning enough. That's looking at mid-October by that point, they could easily lose all of those games. They could easily lose all of those games. Then you've got the Titans away, and then Commanders at home, Patriots away. You know, if if they only end up getting three to four wins out of all of that set, you know, and that's probably being optimistic considering their performances so far this year, he's gone by Halloween.
1: And that's that's alarming as well because you look at that schedule and you think these were the two games they you had penciled in as wins. These were the yeah. two that you'd get to get them off the mark and then they go into the Kansas City game, tough game, Tennessee, Denver, that you know, tough games. But instead they're 0-2 and could easily be staring at that Jacksonville game mid-October as 0-5. I could easily see that happening.
2: Yeah. Easily. Yeah, it's 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 bad. And you do wonder how quick they might press that trapdoor button because yeah. do do you press it at 0-5? They, that roster's not 0-5. That that roster is nowhere near 0-5 bad. It's you know, it's nowhere near 0 and 2 at this point. You know, Matt Ryan's looked looked awful so far this season. That's not Matt Ryan. He, even with the Falcons, he didn't look this bad. You know, no, there, there, exactly. there is more, there is more at stake here, and it's the coaching. It's got to be.
1: It, and, and Matt Ryan's never looked this bad. You know, he's had some dreadful Atlanta teams through his years, but he's never looked this bad. But Reich has was plucked out of Philadelphia after their Super Bowl win. And he was the offensive coordinator there, and he brought, um, you know, he's, he's brought in this new sort of way in Indianapolis. And he's been there for five years now, and I just I don't see how the improvement comes. You know, he was he was regarded as the the Wentz whisperer who was going to get Castle Wentz back up and running. That didn't happen. You know, Matt Ryan. The offense looks all over the place. I don't know. I don't know where they go from here. And he's got to be looking over at Sirianni in, in Philadelphia, who came from Indianapolis. who was his offensive coordinator in Indianapolis. And Sirianni, first season, takes the Eagles to the playoffs. You know, that depleted roster, that that awful roster, and, and they go to the playoffs under Sirianni. And now they're they're, they're looking like a, a really good team in the NFC this season. So, you know, troubling times for Reich. But um, Sean, what do you think about the Cardinals? What do you think about uh, Old Cliff in uh, in Arizona?
0: Yeah, I think, look, sometimes the results really do mask the problems and I sort of stipulated that when we were talking about the game review earlier. In in terms of, to answer your questions directly, how on earth did they win that game? (laughs) I've got no good answer. I've been sitting here for five minutes listening to Josh talk about Frank Reich and I'm thinking, I've got no good answer for this. You look at that, that drive that actually tied the ball game up. And we said about the offense, it didn't get going until the fourth quarter. It didn't even get going in the fourth quarter. I'm just looking at this drive. Pass to AJ Green, no gain. Kyler Murray left end for five yards. Kyler Murray left end for two yards. Passing complete. Passing complete. Passing complete. The only time he actually completed passes were on fourth down and scramble plays. Now, to be fair, I suppose you—that's when the best quarterbacks make the money and they pull out, pull it out when they need to, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it will only go on for so long. Um, you know, for me, they're a team that you know. <laughs> Really struggling offensively without DeAndre Hopkins. Let's not forget that their star wide receiver is missing for the early part of this season. Um, And they obviously have moved on from Christian Kirk as well. So two of the weapons that were there last year aren't suiting up to start out this year. Yes, they've obviously brought in um, Hollywood Brown um, from the Ravens. But let's face it, he wasn't exactly pulling up trees at the Ravens. Um, and as you say, the fact that Greg Dortch seems to be getting as many targets as he is probably tells you all you need to know about how that transition is working out at the minute. James Connor had a lot of touchdowns last year. He relied heavily on short yardage stuff, but if you don't get him in and around the goal line, he's not a productive runner. He's never been a high yards per carry kind of back. Um, and, you know, they haven't got one of those, you know, James Conner's stat line for yesterday, 7 for 25. You know, they've got more plays, gadget plays um, out of Eno Benjamin than they got out of James Conner yesterday. So there's an awful lot of questions to be asked there. The one thing they did do well yesterday, and I, I've got to be honest, I haven't watched a ton of this game. I'm only going off the, the highlights that I've seen today in terms of what's on NFL Game Pass and obviously looking at the stat line. Devontae Adams, did somebody tell Derek Carr that the Raiders traded for Devontae Adams yes. in the offseason? <laughs> two, Two receptions for 12 yards, two receptions for 12. That has got to be Devontae Adams' worst stat line forever. Um, admittedly, it's obviously a new offence for Devontae Adams, but two for 12 yards just seems a ridiculously low stat line. Um, and as you said earlier, Josh McDaniel's not off to a great start at all, is he, in terms of what the Raiders have been able to put out, I think in terms to answer the question between the two, um, I think Frank Reich is the most likely to go sooner rather than later. Um, I think Cliff Kingsbury is more likely to, to get a longer run at it. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if either of them survived come the end of the season. And it's like I said, we talked about this preseason, didn't we? I think it's the level of expectation with these sides, you know, if they don't make the playoffs and don't have decent runs in the playoffs, you know, it gets to the point that, you know, he's making the playoffs enough, you know, and actually when you look at these teams, you know, they do need to have sustained runs in the playoffs. I think just to touch on Indianapolis, just to throw my two pence worth in, um, I don't think the roster is probably as good as what we give it credit for. Um, If you look at it, you know, where are the stars? You know, yeah, they've got some very good players. I'm not disputing that they've got some good players on the roster, um, you know, but if you're looking for star power outside of Jonathan Taylor, who obviously you know one of the premier, if not the premier, running back in the NFL currently, you know there's no real superstar at wide receiver. You know, Michael Pittman's their their big receiver, if you like, in terms of what they expect from him. They've got nothing really at the tight end position. Um, the offensive line is questionable, particularly trying to protect a immobile quarterback. I think Matt Ryan's took seven sacks through the first two weeks. Um, you know, and defensively against Houston and Jacksonville, two teams that you particularly at the start of the season would have expected to be struggling. You know, they've given up 300 yards of offense to the Texans, 330 yards of offense to the Jags and look pretty toothless in doing so, to be honest. So um, lots and lots of questions within that. Um, you know, I think there are, like I say, some other coaches that, that are under immense pressure already. And it's it's a crazy world that we live in, isn't it? It's always a what have you done for me lately type of league. We mentioned some of the new coaches um, and we'll touch on those um, as we go through. But yeah, so I think in terms of your three statements, mate, you know, I think they're all very reasonable in terms of your thought process behind them. Um, and as I say, certainly in terms of those coaches, I wouldn't be at all surprised um, to see some moves made sooner rather than later um let's touch on some of the other games then that we haven't really talked about let's get a quick update first and foremost on the pickhams league um and where are we top of our table now i'm pleased to say i've joined josh at the top of the table tied now on 19 points um it's a three-way tie at the top well actually do you know what i actually quite like this new 888 version of the pickhams because you have to obviously get your um you score right, don't you, on Thursday Night Football. That becomes the tiebreaker. Yeah. So, John Johnny Boy Floyd leads the Pickham League at the moment, followed by Josh, followed by my good self, um, all three of us on 19 points. Although, I will say, I actually got Thursday Night Football bang on the money this week after getting it wrong by 28 points do the you know, week before.
2: Do you know, I was so pissed off that it just didn't take Justin Herbert out of the game because then I would have been just the one-point margin and you'd have been dragged so far away. I was gutted. Absolutely gutted.
0: Coulda, woulda, shoulda, my friend. You know, all of these (laughs) things. But yeah, um, get involved in the Pickens League each week um, because it is a good bit of fun, isn't it? If nothing else, we all like to think we know Something, and as we say each week, all it proves is that we all know absolutely nothing. So it's always... Uh, he always says,
2: good. joint top. <laughs> yeah. He
0: says there, of course. Let's touch on some of these games then, fellas. i are going to reel some of the scores off that we've sort of mentioned, but I haven't gone into great deals of depth, and I'll come to you for a little bit of commentary on them. Um, we've obviously already mentioned the Chiefs 27, Las Angeles Chargers 24. Uh, New York Jets 31, Cleveland 30, Cincinnati 17, Dallas 20. I pushed the panic button last week. Josh told me not to push it. Josh, is this more of actually the panic button needs to go to Cincinnati and the most sacked quarterback in the history of the game?
2: So it depends as to what you mean by panic. If you listened to me at the start of the season and didn't buy into the Bengals' hype to start with, you'd have seen that this was actually something to be aware of anyway. Um, The Bengals are just... Are just starting to get the rub of the green the other way now. There, there are things of which are, you know, of which would have gone for them last year, of which did not go for them. You know, either yesterday or last week, you're gonna get it. The offensive line has not been resolved, of which is a a huge issue, especially for Joe Burrow. I am wondering whether or not to trademark Burrow the Joe Burrow uh, resignations podcast. Um, much in the same vein as the Athletics' Andrew Luck podcast from uh, <laughs> from earlier this off-season, because the more I look at it, the more I see the Andrew Luck story in Joe Burrow. The guy's just getting hit left, right, and center and can't make moves. And, you yeah, know they've played two solid defenses so far. So they've played the Steelers and the Cowboys. You can say what they like about their offenses at the moment, especially with... Um, you know, Cooper Rush and Mitch Trubisky being the two quarterbacks that they've played against, but they are solid defenses. So I wouldn't push the panic button yet, but I also wouldn't be surprised by their slow start either. The
1: the other thing, just quickly on the Bengals as well, is that they were a Super Bowl team last year. And they then they tooled up like a lot of the players they added. They didn't really sort of lose too many. And they've added better players. You know, they shored up the offensive line, or at least they thought they did. You know, they got players back healthy and they looked like, on paper, a better team ready to go back again. And they just look the opposite of that. Joe Boris holding onto the ball too long. The offensive line is literally tattered and is is really mm-hmm. struggling to, to get that chemistry going. Um, and, you know, the 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 Pittsburgh offent- de- defensive line, yes, absolutely, obviously, that's a stellar defensive line. The Dallas Dallas defensive line, outside of Mika Parsons, there's not a huge amount there, you know, in terms of their defensive line. And they still took him down, like, was it six times in the yeah. first um, three quarters, something like that? So, you know, the, the, for me, I, I wonder as well, if this is a bit of a... Is Zach Taylor being found out a bit as well? You know, the the is the, the questions need to be asked about him because I was always dubious of Zach Taylor, and I think last season might have been a bit of a flash in the pan. And actually, this the Bengals are in for a long slog this season. Um, and I think if it weren't for some for some of the results in the division, they could be looking at a really tough climb back. But luckily, the other teams in the division didn't fancy playing yesterday either, so they got to be lucky. <laughs>
2: Yeah. So, just one thing, re- really uh, quickly, whilst we're on that, and it's something really interesting. If you can look back to some tweets from last week, uh, in regards to um, Cincinnati media, etc., and Pittsburgh media, uh, there was um, there's an, there's a tell where if Joe Burrow goes under center, it's getting ran. Whereas if he goes in the gun. Then it's likely to get past, and that got found out most times against Pittsburgh, and I believe it was a it was something which carried on a lot um, yesterday as well.
0: Yeah, they've certainly got some um, things to clear up there. I mean, just to add to it, um, you know, it's becoming almost laughable now how bad that offensive line play is. Most sacks taken by a quarterback since the start of the twenty twenty one season admittedly Joe Burrow went to the playoffs but he has taken 83 sacks since the start of last season, next worst Derek Carr and Baker Mayfield tied with 49, so he's taken 34 more sacks than anybody else Um, he just can't carry on if the Bengals do want to get back um, to a Super Bowl, but more importantly if they want to protect the franchise in terms of the long term, they really do need to start protecting him he's already
1: torn an ACL as well he he can't do it again
0: (laughs) Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Um, Next three on the agenda. We've touched on a couple of them already. Detroit 36, Washington 27, Jacksonville 24, Indianapolis a goose egg zero. Um, Denver 16, Houston 9. Steve, touch on the coaches under pressure. Kind of said it in jest because it's surely unrealistic to think a coach two games into his career would be under pressure. But the fact that the uh, home fans had to actually count down the play clock so that the offence didn't take further delays of game. It, it really is a very, very poor start to the Russell wilson Nathaniel Hackett era in Denver, isn't it?
1: It's like both teams left their offences on the bus in the first half because it was just a defensive game for the first like 40 minutes, really. Nothing got going. Um, Hackett is making rookie errors as head coach that you shouldn't be making as a head coach. That delay of game... On the fourth that is then turned into a punt rather than a field goal attempt is criminal. That is like page one of the textbook. Like how could you possibly have a delay of game in that scenario that then changes it into a punt rather than a, than a field goal? Now they still won the game and in the grand scheme of things, three points didn't make a huge difference, but it's just it's just the culture of the team. You know, you don't want to be known as the coach that's making silly mistakes like that. Yes, he's a new head coach, and yes, he's probably finding his feet, but it's um, it's it's alarming for Denver. And I think, you know, Russell Wilson is not playing his greatest ball as well. Now, obviously, it's going to take some time. He's been in Seattle for, for was it 12, 12 years, 11 years, something like that. It's been a long time in Seattle. It's a change of scenery. There's going to be a lot of settling in. And as, also, as well, I don't think this Denver team have been helped by some of the injuries they've had as well. Obviously, before the season, they lost Tim Patrick, which is an awful loss because I think he's one of the key pieces of the offense. Um, Jerry Judy went down pretty early, early on and didn't return. Um, Pat Satan went down on the defence pretty early on, didn't return. So they've had some pretty pretty poor um, uh, injury look. I will give them that. But they need to figure things out quickly because, like you said, Sean, this was your team that you sort of backed to be, you know, runaway um, – well, maybe not runaway, but divisional winners in this, in this really, really tough division. And right now they are not showing anything of the sort that they could be divisional winners.
0: No, absolutely mate, 13 penalties for 100 yards, that tells you all you need to know, a lot to clean up in Denver, Um, but the first win on the board for Hackett and Wilson, Um, moving through some more games, Tampa Bay 20, New Orleans 10, probably more memorable though Josh for the fight that happened rather than anything in the actual game itself wasn't it?
2: (laughs) Yeah, so I was uh, I was watching this with the misses. Uh, she won the TV battle, considering it was on Sky, so I had to watch the Browns. Came on my laptop while this played on on the big screen, and pretty much throughout the entirety of the game, this was a this was a game of which um, it was a tale of defenses. It was uh, one where the Saints did what the Saints do well against the Bucks, of which is just work out Tom Brady and and just apply a lot of pressure on him. Tom Brady actually at one stage actually threw his Microsoft Surface uh, into the um, into, into the bleachers. That's how frustrated he got. I think that we caught him saying about six or seven expletives on camera, um, all the rest of it. And Mike Evans actually probably with the play of the game decides to run from the sideline. Deck! Um, was it Marshawn Lattimore, was it? Um, I think it was. Um you know, he could talk about blindside block. He completely decked him. Um, both obviously getting ejected from the game. I think they're both out for a week now. Uh, as well but what it seems to do what hockey fights tend to do for teams which is just give them a bit more of a yeah go get them sort of thing and the books from that point on seemed comfortable (laughs) they they started to get into a rhythm and that's with Evans off the team I don't know if it's because they um, they obviously didn't know who to mark out the game because Evans was double covered most of the game to that point as well so uh yeah um, Evans playing almost a hockey-style enforcer there but uh, you know it, it, it did summer I, I refuse to believe it didn't do something to cajole them
0: yeah, It was like the typical nil-nil in football where the commentator says this game needs a goal, that game needed a fight didn't it to sort of spark it to life so, <laughs> And yeah, they've got history a... as well They've
2: got history, yeah, they yeah, they showed yeah. it as well I think uh, Evans punched, uh, punched his helmet clean off last time or, something, or the other way around um, yeah. last season they, you know, it needed a suspension I think to actually calm that down going forward I think. I think next time they'll think twice maybe yeah. potentially
0: well, it's, it's a one game ban as it stands we'll see if it holds up because I think he's going to appeal it. Let's crack on with a few more um, real snooze fest in terms of New England 17, Pittsburgh 14 and another snooze fest Carolina 16, the Giants 19, Steve Four really poor offences here. The Giants quite possibly one of the worst 2-0 and franchises ever, um, if we're being honest. Um, Carolina look dreadful. Uh, Pittsburgh offensively look dreadful. Um, you know, four teams here that, you know, essentially not really a great deal of positives to find for any of these at the minute, is there?
1: No, I think um you know Pittsburgh to begin with. I think it uh, sounds like fans and pundits are counting down the days to see Kenny Pickett. Some people are suggesting that Week Four might see him take the field, and you know the the, the, the Steelers are not going anywhere with with um, Mitch Trubisky. And I think Chicago fans could have told you that, <laughs> you know. um But this um the Steelers' offense is is lacking at the moment, and. Uh, Deontay Johnson's probably one of their only bright sparks in an otherwise pretty lacklustre offence at the moment whilst um, Trubisky's at the helm and, you know, take TJ Watt out of that defence and all of a sudden it looks pretty pretty lacklustre because as much as... uh, As much as they do like to take the ball when it comes to interceptions, if you give it back to the offense, if they can't score on the interception and turn it into a six-point defensive player, the offense can't seem to score either. So, you know, troubles in in, in Pittsburgh. It was weird seeing, it it popped up on red zone every now and again, it was weird seeing um, a New England-Pittsburgh game that is in the post-Brady-Rothlisberger era. Yeah. Um, you know, and yeah. having two two quarterbacks that at the moment are, are fairly average. You know, Mac Jones is, I think he's a, he's a, certainly a better quarterback than uh, Trubisky, but at the moment he's not really lighting the world alight. Um, and Trubisky is, I think we've seen everyone's seen enough of Trubisky to know that he's a pretty low level starting quarterback right now. So it's sort of weird to see the, those those two going at it, and, and Brady and Roethlisberger being nowhere near it. But one thing I will just give some props to is uh, Nelson Aguilar's catch in the end zone for that touchdown. What a catch! Hmm. Absolutely wonderful grab behind the defender. Sort of the defender gets his arms up there and just whiffs, you know, he's he's, no, he hasn't caught the ball, just does as best he can. It's just a hell of a catch, really, really good catch. So, give him credit for that. Um, and in terms of the other game, you're right, I think. I will give the Giants props. They're two and all. I I did not have them two and all. This is the first time the Giants have started the season two and all since the boat picture. We all remember the famous boat <laughs> picture that they took with OBJ and the light like on the on the boat. This is the first time the, the franchise has gone two and all since that photo was taken. Um, but I agree, they are they look like the the biggest fraudulent two and all team so far. I think it's been two pretty pretty lucky wins and. Um I you know they the the first game we won against Tennessee, you know, they, they managed to, to come away after Tennessee missed the field goal. So lucky not to lose that one. And this one, I think, any other offense other than Carolina, and they would have lost this game quite handily. Um I think the offense is still trying to figure out who it is. Um interestingly that um Kenny Galladay, the guy that got the big monster contract uh, last not this offseason one, the one just gone, um was was barely involved. I don't even think he was involved today. He didn't certainly didn't get any targets. Um, and his locker was apparently cleared out when he'd left the stadium before the press um, even got in there after the game. So don't know what's going on there. But Kenny Galladay's time in New York could uh, could potentially be uh, be numbered. Um, but when their the the biggest receiving threats are Richie James and Davis Sills the fifth, just shows you sort of how things are changing <laughs> in New York. And obviously Saquon Barkley had a big game, but. I'm the first to point out in the NFC East of, of, of running backs that have relied on heavily, too heavily, because look at what's happening to Zeke Elliott. His production has fallen off a cliff in the last year or two because his legs are shot, because he's played so many snaps in that Dallas offense. If they're not careful, Saquon Barkley will do the same um, because he's already had a, a season-ending injury once. Um, you know he's, he's a great player, don't get me wrong, but they need to manage him and they need to make sure that they're not overloading him and um, – you know, their other uh, rushing threats were Daniel Jones for 21 yards, and uh, Matt Brady had minus four rushing yards. So let's uh, let's not uh, give too much stock to him. So yeah, four pretty pretty lackluster offenses, pro- four pretty pretty abysmal offensive performances. But those two teams that count with wins would be pleased to just get one in the
0: W column, I think. Yeah, no, they all count the same, don't they, at the end of the day. But, yeah, certainly question marks around all four of those. Uh, Green Bay back to winning ways. 27-10 over Chicago. We said Aaron Rodgers owns the Bears. I think the Bears are going to be pretty poor this year. Uh, I'm not buying too much into what Green Bay did. Um... You know, Again, pretty poor effort in terms of what the receivers generated. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon seem to beat the Packers' offense this year, don't they? Let's be honest, they combined to put up around about 240 of the total team yards. So, um, yeah, still question marks for me in terms of Green Bay. Some of the others that we haven't yet mentioned, uh, the Falcons gave the Rams a bit of a scare, didn't they? That was a ne- nearly another one to add to your comeback list, Josh. 31-27 in the end. Well, that, got, that one got a bit tasty towards the end, didn't it?
2: Yeah, it was one of those ones a bit like the, uh, the Jets-Browns game where a lot had to happen and, and, and they were going for it. it. Everything seemed to fall for them, but they gave themselves far too much to try and go at. Um, but, the, you know, the Falcons on their day are, you, you know, they are tasty. You know, they, they've got some playmakers and they can do some stuff. They just left themselves too big of a hole to go after.
0: Yeah, definitely. Drake London's made a nice start to his NFL career, getting more percentage of a uh, team's targets than anybody else at the minute in the NFL. Um, He caught eight balls this week. Uh, And I did like the fact that the Rams were literally running scared through the back of their own end zone at the end after having a previous pump box. It was very interesting.
1: That was a very, very intelligent play because they give away the safety and then they have to kick a free kick ball. So that's actually a really, really smart play from Sean McVeigh. They were talking about it on the Gamecast, and I was like, yeah, that's a really, really intelligent play. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Very, very intelligent, but also quite funny that they were literally running from the Atlanta Falcons to secure the victory at the end. Yeah. in terms of securing victory, pretty straightforward for San Francisco, 27-7 over Seattle. And uh, The big story in this one, obviously, is the fact that Trey Lance went down early in the game, confirmed today, broken an ankle and surgery, which will mean the end of his season before it's even really got started. Of course, Jimmy G came in to pick up the pieces, instantly led a touchdown drive, and the 49ers back in the win column mentioned it at the outset steve just very quick answer on this one Do the 49ers win more games now jimmy g he's under center than they would have done with trayland yes or no no josh yeah yeah i
1: it's thought
0: you might i thought way. you i i thought you might have a split opinion on that one yeah he's he's a polarizing character but look absolute uh, masterstroke it's got to be said now from the San Francisco front office to not trade him away um, because obviously he potentially um, will be the starting quarterback for the next 13 weeks and we've left it till last deliberately left it till last Josh kind of mentioned it earlier but I think we need to put a little bit of special praise on this one the Baltimore Ravens 38 the Miami Dolphins 42 Just an incredible fourth quarter. Um, Four touchdowns in the fourth quarter alone. The first time in NFL history that two wide receivers go for over 150 receiving yards and two touchdowns in terms of a duo on the same team in terms of Hill and Waddle. Um, I mean, the stat line's ridiculous for both of them. Hill 11 for 190 and two touchdowns. Waddle 11 for 171 and two touchdowns. Um, Tua Tungavailoa ends with six TDs, 469 yards. Lamar Jackson has himself a day, 21 of 29 for 318, three touchdowns, also 119 rushing yards and a touchdown. I mean, this was just a crazy, crazy, crazy game. Um, if you'd have switched on at the end of the third quarter, you'd have thought that the Baltimore Ravens were just, you know, enjoying a very routine victory. But boy, oh boy, did this game come alive in the fourth quarter, Steve.
1: Yeah, the Ravens were up by 21 points as the fourth quarter started, um, which means that the Dolphins set a new team record for the largest fourth quarter comeback in their history. (laughs) Um, So that was a Dolphins franchise record. Um, They are also the first team to accomplish that feat in over 12 years. That's how unlikely it all was that they were going to come back. And I remember seeing this on Red Zone and thinking, wow, the Ravens have really sort of put the Dolphins to the sword today. And This Ravens team looks like a really good team. Um, you know, um, I thought that Lamar was was uh, was increasing his guaranteed money with every single snap that he played because he looked unstoppable. Yeah. And 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 to be fair to Lamar, I don't think this was his fault. I don't think he could have really done any more. You know, if you're an offensive, if you put 38 points upon the board, nine, you know, 99 times out of 100, you expect to win the game you know you'd hope that your defense could hold the off the opposing offense to 37 points and you could walk away with the win so i don't think lamar could have done a huge amount more but they just couldn't stop that offense in the fourth quarter um, waddle was excellent Tyree kill looked looked quiet for the first like quarter or so but then lit it up there was that one player where he was wide open in the back in the uh, in the in the Secondary of the Ravens, and I just don't know how he was left so open. Must have been a busted coverage, but he was so so open. And Tua looked looked really really good in that fourth quarter. He was. I've seen him compared to like the the old style sort of Dan Marino brings in that sort of flash of of, of brilliance, and just you know, this is what the, the Dolphins can look forward to if they've got him under center and him at quarterback. And it was just such an exciting finish. I just didn't think it was going to happen, and then it did. You know, over till it over. And, and and they were absolutely excellent. And what a game, what an advert for the for the league. And um, I think um Sky will be absolutely kicking themselves <laughs> kicking the other game to the show because this was clearly the one that should have been on TV. Yeah,
0: yeah it certainly should have been. Josh, I'm just gonna reel off for you, but we could talk about blown coverages and the Ravens throwing it away and everything. But look, I want to finish this podcast on a positive and let's let's heap the praise on the Dolphins here. These last four drives. 75 plays in three minutes... Sorry, 75 plays. Wow, (laughs) let's go. That's a drive and a half. 75, (laughs) 75 yards in three minutes, 14. 59 yards in one minute, 24. 64 yards in one minute, 27. 68 yards in two minutes and four seconds. I've just roughly calculated that in my head. That's around eight minutes of play, four touchdowns. What an explosion. Everybody in the AFC, we keep talking about the Bills. Look, this is the week three matchup I'm going to finish the podcast on in a minute. It's Bills versus the Dolphins in week three. That has got to be the Sky game at six o'clock. Got to be the Sky game at six o'clock.
2: What did you think of this offense?
0: Exactly. What did you think of this yesterday? And then we'll finish the podcast with a quick look towards week three and that game in particular.
2: So, on that one, uh, the offense was very Jekyll and Hyde, I thought, in the first half. The Miami offense was terrible. Um, Couldn't get anything going. Tua looked off. Um, Could barely hit a man in stride. Uh, They couldn't seem to get anything past the line. Baltimore were all over them. And... Yeah, realistically, that sort of kept up until that fourth quarter, and then everything just seemed to work perfectly for them. They were able to hit their guys, um, hit, hit the guys wherever they were going. To his arm was suddenly gold. You just got to be able to keep that up consistently. You know, we've said from the offset that Miami's offense, in terms of roster, is really good this year, and there is no reason as to why they can't. You know, reel off these sort of performances over the course of an entire game, not just. the the one quarter um but you know cr- credit to them for being as aggressive as they were and still able to get the job done you know that the, they didn't require quite the magician's uh tricks as uh, maybe the Jets did, for example, but they were able to, you know, just be able to constantly get back. And then also hats off to the Miami defense as well. You know, you're not able to get this level of, you know, just constant drives in the fourth quarter without being able to get the ball back quickly. And that's, and that's what the defense did. They stood up to Baltimore at a time where realistically they could have just rolled over and gone, we're done. We've had a crap day at the office and completely performed a 180 so hats off to both sides of the ball there
1: and just quickly as well like that that baltimore defense is no pushover Uh, that's not just some awful defense that baltimore defense is arguably one of the best in the league you know marcus williams marlon humphrey chuck clark patrick queen marcus peters carl hamilton Just list off some of those names and those are all like really really good players and that they just fell apart what a game
0: stunning, stunning game I've mentioned that that's on the docket for week 3 let's have a quick look at some of the others for week 3 Brown Steelers open up Thursday night football you've either got to be a Browns fan, a Steelers fan or on drugs to stay up Thursday night to watch that football game (laughs) that's all I'm going to say unfortunately I fall into at least one of those categories so I will probably be up watching it but yeah, not exactly a thriller Uh, Dolphins, Bills, Headlines, the Early Slate in terms of Sunday Um, also Vikings, Lions could be a tasty one to watch in the early window as well Late games, probably highlighted by Buccaneers, Packers um, in the 925 slot. Um, and then we have Sunday Night Football, Broncos 49ers. Monday Night Football next week is Giants, Cowboys. Of course, we've still got two games left this week, and I'll be miss not to ask Steve about how he's feeling ahead of Eagles-Vikings tonight. The second part of the overlapping doubleheader, Monday Night Football, which I'm still scratching my head around. Apparently, there's going to be a little box inside... The coverage of each game showing what's going on in the other game, which I'm not sure whether that's going to help or hinder, if I'm being completely honest. But, yeah, Bills-Titans starts us off tonight at quarter past midnight. Eagles-Vikings thereafter at 1.30. How are you feeling about tonight, buddy? Confident? Um,
1: yeah, it's, it's going to be a real test. I didn't think that, the, you know, this would be such a massive test. The Vikings are always a sort of a, a, a good test for the Eagles. But, you know... um, Kevin O'Connell had such a good performance last week against the Packers that it's got me a bit nervous, and I'm just a bit nervous about how this Eagles defense handles the likes of Justin Jefferson, um, the likes of Dalvin Cook. Uh, we really struggled to stop the run last week um, against the Lions, so I think that could be an interesting sort of matchup there. But I would I would back the Eagles offense to to put on a similar number of points just because of how explosive it is. Look for Devonta Smith to get involved in the game more. Look for um, um AJ Brown to get involved up the middle you know Dallas got it getting those slants in the middle of the, of the field um and and that that triple-headed running attack as well so really really interesting game I'm going to be getting up for it because I think this is going to be a real tasty one I think you know back in back in sort of um April May time when the schedule came out and you were looking at this game you thinking oh it's not really sort of a, a, a big sort of mud mm-hmm. football but now it's here I think it's actually a really interesting one a really good one for the neutral as well so should be a good one I think it'll be high scoring and I'd uh I think the Eagles' home field advantage should take it. I think it's going to be a close one, 27-24 for
0: my birds. Yeah, it's certainly going to be a close one. I think in terms of that, I think 52% of people in the Pickhams have gone for the Eagles, 48 for the Vikings. It really is a coin flip kind of game. So, yeah. yeah, it should be a real, real good one. In terms of our coverage for the rest of the week, we are now the home of American football all week long. You can catch the Go For Two podcast part now of the full 10 Yards Network. We're delighted to have the boys Signed up and part of what we're producing there here at the end of the week, Thursday or Friday, um, to give you the previews for the games ahead in a bit more depth as we do more of the review stuff on a Monday. Um, So catch uh, the boys delivering that. And also, if you do like to have a little flutter, make sure you check out the full 10 Yards Betting Podcast. Plenty of good advice there from the boys. Um, as they obviously look into what the bookies are offering. If you want to have a cheeky 50 pence each way on someone to score a touchdown at the weekend, or maybe a little bit more if if you're that way inclined, but always gamble responsibly. The boys will tell you all of that anyway if you tune in. You won't be disappointed. Fellas, we'll be back next week, of course, to review everything going down in week three. It's been a pleasure as always. We hope you've enjoyed week two of the NFL And we will see you all again this time next Monday to review week three. Until then, enjoy your week and we will see you soon.